Well, hey, welcome back to Mike Cyber Radio. I am your host, and it's been 13 years, but we are heading back to Pandora. That's right, we are talking about Avatar, The Way of Water, the long-awaited uh, uh, sequel to uh, James Cameron's uh, uh, triumphant achievement uh, from all those years ago. Um, I apologize in advance if you could hear a uh, road noise. Uh, I, I really want to try to get this out uh, uh, this weekend uh, so that uh, uh, what I have to say might influence uh, your uh, your decision to go see this movie. Actually, that, that's not true at all. Uh, uh, from, from what I've understood from social media, everybody's going to go anyway, uh, but folks are just kind of interested in what I have to say and what uh, what my takes are on the movie, and I do have a few takes. Uh, first, I, I did have the opportunity to see an advanced screening, humble brag. Um, I, I got to see it at uh, the Pacific Science Center uh, IMAX. Uh, got to see it in IMAX 3D with high frame rate. Now I mention all this. Not as a flex, not as a brag, but I think my experience watching the movie certainly colors my outlook on the movie, and it certainly influences my review of the movie. Um, but I, I think I'm getting a little too far ahead of myself. Um, one of the things I want to touch on before we get too far is kind of this weird space that Avatar occupies in pop culture. I'm sure you've seen a lot of think pieces on the internet talking about how uh, Avatar doesn't really have a pop culture footprint. Um, nobody quotes it. It's nobody's favorite movie. And yet, for a time, um, it was the highest grossing movie of all time. And I'm pretty sure all of us can say that we've seen it, but I don't know how many of us go back to it. So it is kind of this weird, baffling uh, moment in time in uh, pop culture. Now, in the intervening 13 years, um, you know, James Cameron has, in my opinion, kind of lost his mind and pushed in all of his chips on this Avatar world. Uh, it's become uh, a joke about the amount of sequels. Uh, that are coming, and it's, I, I don't know, I, I, so when I say highly anticipated, I do say that with a question mark, because I don't, nobody asked for this, none of us wanted it, but yet, when the movie opens this weekend, we're all gonna go, in fact, as I, as I'm gonna break down here, I might go again, um, despite having seen it for free through work. So, I, I guess let me start up top, because the thing that I've been asked more than anything on social media when, I, when I've posted that, uh, that I was seeing it, is it's like, oh, well, it, it's basically the first one except it's underwater, or it's the first one, it's just better and longer, or or some combination of that, and so I guess that's where where I want to start. Um, my big headline review is 
it's fine. The movie's fine. It's not especially good from a story standpoint, but it's not specifically bad either. It's just kind of there. Uh, it is obviously a visual spectacle, and it is a special effects masterpiece. And the 3D is incredible. And the underwater 3D is spectacular. It is an event of a movie. Um, so, uh, bearing the lead, I guess, or, or jumping all the way to the end, if you're going to see this, go see it in 3D. Because if you are going to watch this movie as just like a regular movie, um, you know, just a, like in a standard movie house as a 2D experience, you are wasting your time, you are wasting your money. This hours, this movie is three hours and 15 minutes, and you will feel every single minute of it. It is a slog at times, but with it being such a visual masterpiece, that helps the time go by, but I, I was getting really itchy um, in my seat. But um, I, I think I got myself all turned around. Uh, so basically, this, this is a movie that nobody asked for. It's a movie that's happening to us anyway, and more of these are going to happen. So one of, one, I, I've talked about this before, but part of the ritual of going to advanced screenings through my work is you have to talk to the nice lady with the clipboard, the, the uh, promotion company rep. In this case, it's Ally Global Marketing, uh, a terrific, uh, terrific folks. Uh, really glad to uh, be working with them. Um, but basically, you talk to the studio rep and you give them your hot take. Not, not necessarily like a full review, uh, usually condensed down to a sentence or at least a few words. Um, something that, that just kind of gives them the impression of what your, your temperature of the movie is walking right out of it uh, when, when, it's, when it's just hot off the fire. And usually when I go to these advanced screenings, I try to craft and, and put put some thought into what I what I'm going to say. Um, I try to avoid things like, yeah, it was good, um, or you know, I liked it, it's good, you know that that kind of thing, because that that doesn't feel specific enough. Conversely, though, and and I have a lot of friends in this space, and I'm not trying to disparage anybody. Um, I feel that other folks give too verbose of an answer, like they're going through their thesaurus to find the biggest, fanciest words possible to uh, uh, craft this thesis of what to tell the nice lady with the clipboard. I try to split the difference. You know, maybe I will find like a larger word and and try to um, you know tie it with uh, plain speaking for lack of a better term 
So usually the things I say, it's like, oh, well, you know, it was, uh, you know, it, it, it was a, a visual masterpiece, but aggressively uneven. You know, it's something like that, you know, where it's like, you know, it, it's, it's verbose enough and it sounds a little fancier, but not so ostentatious and esoteric that it, it just comes across as pretentious. Um, I, I get, I get occasionally pedantic, but I'm not sure that I'm specifically, uh, pretentious. I, I mean, I was, I was the guy that said the fancy whiskey is just food, um, at the end of the day, and, and at the end of the day, movies are just movies. But, um, when I got out of the screening and my encounter with the nice lady with the clipboard, I found myself at a loss for words. And I ended up just kind of sputtering and kind of getting, trying to get my legs under me. And the stuff that I kind of eked out was like, it's fine. Um, it, it is a visual spectacle and it's a technological achievement and the special effects are incredible. Um, but as far as like the story goes, there, there, there's, there's no meat on the bone. There's not a lot here. Um, we were talking at work, and one of my co-workers had, had the most brilliant analogy. Uh, they compared it to, you go to your favorite Mexican restaurant, and they have the most amazing salsa you've ever had. Like, they might even make it, like, table-side there for you, but it's got, like, all the freshest ingredients and, you know, um, exotic spices, maybe stuff you haven't, haven't tasted before. It is, it is the best salsa you've ever had, but they serve it on stale mission chips. You know, it is just like the plainest, most boring, most unremarkable, uh, chips that you've ever had served to you at a Mexican restaurant with, uh, uh, with, with this amazing salsa. And I think that is the best way to describe the juxtaposition between the, the, the special effects and the story of Avatar The Way of Water. Um, I, I will probably say The Way of the Water a, a couple times, uh, but I'm just being sarcastic. I'm aware that the film's title is Avatar The Way of Water. And, and as the movie tells you multiple times, well, the way of the water is that there is no beginning and there is no end. Just like this movie. Uh, this hour is three hours and 15 minutes. It, it, it has a saggy middle. It's very sloggy. Um, and it's, it, it, it's occasionally a frustrating watch. Um, because we just, we're, we're just spending so much time what... I've seen referred to in other reviews being called world building. And I guess, I mean, I, I have, I have an appetite and patience for world building, but this just feels like instead of world building, it's spinning its wheels. So the movie is basically divided into thirds, I guess. And, and since this is an early review, uh, there, and, and I was thinking about this too, that there, there, I was going to say it's spoiler free review and it is, but in a sense, there really is not that much to spoil because the quote unquote spoilers 
would have to do with the fates of characters you haven't met yet because you haven't seen the movie. So if I say this character lives, this character dies, this character uh, gets affected in this way, it's not even gonna. Uh, so it's it's not a spoiler to say that the the main characters make it out of this movie pretty unscathed. So um, there there is a surprising establishment of stakes uh, down the stretch um, that I'm kind of surprised I didn't didn't see coming, but um, but it, th there, there were a few things that kind of surprised me uh, with regards of how the plot uh, un unfolded and developed. But basically, it's the, the story essentially is, is, is it picks up 10 years after, after the first movie, so almost a, a real-time uh, progression. Uh, Jake Sully and uh, uh, Zoe Saldana's character now have a family, and they're just, uh, um, you know, living their best Avatar life. And then those, uh, those pesky humans uh, return to Pandora with revenge on they mind. And basically, uh, the family flees their home and take refuge with the water people. They're, they're the turquoise, uh, uh, space cat alien people, the, 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 um, the Navi. Jeez. It, it, um, I, I was gonna, I, I was gonna toss in a rant, a rant about everything about this this movie being unremarkable but I'll, I'll, I'll save that uh, for a minute later here uh, but basically what it so the entire second act is literally a fish out of water story where um, the main characters have to reacclimate to a new life with the water people and learn the titular way of water and that's where you get the a lot of the spectacular effect shots and a lot of the underwater stuff. Um, and again, it looks very, very cool. Um, and, and basically, the uh, third act is, you know, just the, the, the climax. And I will also say, and I didn't, I didn't realize this until I slept on it, and I'm glad that I did... There are some legit cool action sequences in the third act, and for being a PG-13 movie, there are some surprisingly cool kills. Um, you know, a lot of, like, yeah, I mean, it's all, like, computer-generated stuff, but you, you get some, uh, you get some, uh, evil humans eating it pretty hard, and, and there are some where it was like, ooh, you know, not quite to the the extent of say like Violent Night or whatever, but um, but yeah, there 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 was a surprising amount of of uh, brutality that I think uh, if you're listening to this, you, you will you'll appreciate. Um, doesn't make it a good movie. Doesn't make it a recommend uh, from me. But uh, but basically, yeah, the the third act is everything kind of you know, uh, 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 wraps up and works itself out. But the thing that I found frustrating is that it, it reminds me of, uh, John Wick three, the most recent one, part four hasn't come out yet. I thought 
that John Wick 3 was going to be the conclusion of a trilogy. Turns out it's just another chapter. Um, this movie feels like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like the middle chapter of a trilogy. So it's, it's not Empire Strikes Back. So it, it's not like, oh man, you see the heroes at their lowest and it's a series of down endings. Instead, it just, uh, the movie doesn't end on a cliffhanger. It kind of does, but it also kind of doesn't. It just kind of ends at a certain point. There's like a new status quo established and then the movie just ends three hours and, and 15 minutes later. And it's, it is kind of hollow. It is kind of disappointing. Um, the performances are, um, trying to find a way to be, uh, uh, they're, they're unremarkable. Uh, you get a lot of Sam Worthington narration here, just like in that first movie. I, again, it's, it's, we're just doing the same movie again. Um, he is not a good actor. And because of the way, no, I, I don't, I don't know. Oh, be, because of like... Uh, the amount of computer-generated imagery, you can't tell what's real, what's fake, uh, what is performance capture, what's motion capture, how much of the original actor is there. It's, you know, how many... I mean, I, I remember seeing those sets. I, I'm sorry, the sets, geez. Um, I remember seeing the those first couple trailers... And I remember not seeing a single human person. And I'm like, oh no, this is all just computer-generated computer world. And it's not a spoiler to say that humans do show up, and they are integral to parts of the story and the thrust of the narrative. But it, it, is, it is odd, because we're spending so much time in the world of Pandora with the Na'vi that you lose you lose your bearings and you lose your grounding. It reminds me of uh, things that we talked about in our uh, episode on Transformers Earthspark. So if you're listening on the podcast, you haven't heard that yet, but we did, did the live stream about it. Uh, you can find that on my YouTube channel. But we talked about the importance of humans in the story of the Transformers because it gives a sense of scale and grounding and brings out the humanity in the robots. And without humans around, computer-generated aliens are just, you know, they're, they're, it's, it just becomes abstract. And it's not um, important. Um, and, and you kind of lose uh, some of that humanity. But, but the performances are garbage. Like, um, uh, the, the, the kids, the, the, um, the younger, uh, actors aren't specifically bad. I was anticipating hating the children because, you know, let, let's be honest, uh, um, kid characters are usually pretty terrible. Um, and I was surprised to find that they kind of aren't. Um, the, the person, uh, th there are two people that I feel bad for most in this movie. One is Zoe Saldana. Um, uh, she... I, I have not. I, I've been told that this is a thing from the first movie, but I haven't seen it in so long that it, it's it's abstract to me. All of her voice deliveries, I swear, the the uh, either whether it was Cameron or the voice director or whoever, her direction was to like 
run around until she was exhausted and then after she was winded to yell at the top of her lungs because all of her dialogue she sounds winded and hoarse um you hear some of that in the trailer and it's just like she always sounds exhausted and and there there there's a a scratchy uh hoarseness to it that that I didn't like and I felt bad for her because it felt like she I, I could imagine her being in the in the recording booth just screaming for several minutes and then having to do it again and again and again and just like ripping her throat out. That that's just how, how she sounds. And it and it's and it's a bad performance. It's just not good. Um and it sucks because she's pretty terrific and deserves better than that. Um the the other uh performance that is so completely unremarkable I didn't even know that's who it was. Uh Kate Winslet uh returns to Cameron Town, um uh, co-star of Titanic, uh owner of uh <laughs> I was I, I'm not gonna say that on a podcast. I was gonna say something about uh, uh profound toplessness, but uh, I'll just I'll just I'll just leave that there. Uh but no I I've I I'm a fan of hers. She's terrific. She is in this movie, and I had to use process of elimination to figure out who she was. So her character inhabits the entirety of the movie. I had no idea it was her. Uh, Because half the time, she ain't speaking English. Um, And it's that's a problem. So, like, when the credits come up, and it it gives, like, you know, um, uh, Sam Worthington, Zoe Saldana... Uh, Sigourney Weaver, third build in this movie, by the way. Um, and it's like for the, for the amount of screen time, I'm like, I guess. And then you get a Kate Winslet and, and my buddy who I saw the movie with elbowed me. He's like, Kate Winslet's in this movie. Who is she? And we had to like do the process of elimination to figure out who was who and figured it out. And he's like, I, if you say so, I guess. Um, but there is a weird undercurrent of misogyny uh, to this movie, and probably to the franchise in general, that I, I, I don't know if I've really seen before. I mean, I, I, I'll be straight with, straight with you. I, I don't remember the last time I've watched Avatar. I mean, I, I think last time I saw it was maybe like in a, a hotel room in Yakima back when I was working inventory. Uh, you watched it on HBO or whatever. I did see it in 3D when it first came out, uh, like everyone else. But um, I don't know. It, it, it It's fascinating to me where we have these conversations about quote-unquote strong female characters. I mean, obviously there was the, the stuff that uh, Jennifer Lawrence said in the, in the news recently, which just kind of comes across as a, as an out of touch millennial that thinks they know everything about everything. But the, the examples that always get brought up, uh, usually by the chuds and by conservatives and folks like that, the, the pillars of quote unquote strong female characters are always, Sarah Connor from the Terminator franchise and Ellen Ripley from uh, the Alien franchise. Um, Sarah Connor, obviously a James Cameron creation. 
And while James Cameron didn't create Ripley, he certainly uh, honed her persona um, in Aliens to be, you know, kind of like that 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 matriarchal uh, badass that that we know her to be. But the thing that I think folks lose track of, and I I, I don't want to go on this whole tangent about James Cameron and misogyny and things like that, but like it, it just. I don't think those characters are as strong and as well-rounded as those folks that champion them uh, believe them to be. Um, I do believe they are both well-rounded, well-written characters and have very convincing character arcs. Both of them, though, kind of start off as unassuming uh, civilian type characters who are thrown into the situation and have to grow and develop and learn. Oh my God. That's why the right likes them so much. It's so much training. Like, you know, Sarah Connor, her deal is training. God damn it. The right is fixated on training, aren't they? Um, okay. I'm losing the thread here, but, but, um, it's fascinating to me that James Cameron creates these strong female characters and yet, in the world of Avatar, the female characters are still kind of uh, subservient to the male characters. And it, it's really weird because Zoe Saldana's Natiri character should be in that same echelon as these strong female characters and as these James Cameron created uh, strong female characters. And she just kind of isn't. She just kind of like yells a lot. And has has a lot of like angry mommy energy, and it's very frustrating because I I want more from that character. I want her to be more badass and more capable than uh, the Sam Worthington character, the the Jake Sully character. And you get some of that in that first one, but you don't get it here. Like he he is. I mean, he, he is the white savior. He is the best at everything. If anything, this guy is the Mary Sue of, uh, of the situation. But, but again, I, I feel like I, I'm, I'm, I'm really drifting and losing uh, uh, the point. But I, I was very disappointed in how little her character gets to do in proportion to what his character uh, gets to do because it's very much his story and she's just kind of part of it. And, and I think it would be better for it if it was, uh, if it was just kind of flipped, but, but again, none of the performances are especially special. Um, and, and it's odd because these are all computer generated, uh, creatures. And you would think that within the voice work and the voice casting, casting and the celebrity voice casting, that there would be something that pops and it really just kind of doesn't. Um, again, Kate Winslet is in this movie and you would have no idea. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's just you know, and, and the dialogue is so stiff and so bad. Uh, the plot is so stiff and so bad and so um, unremarkable. Um, so I, I, I guess from there, uh, so I got to talk about the visuals some more because I, again, that's, that's why you go to this movie and it, and it, and it reminds me a little bit of like the things that the Marvel MCU stands have gotten so pissed off about 
when folks like Martin Scorsese say that Marvel MCU movies are theme park attractions, they're not actual cinema. Or like when Quentin Tarantino says stuff like, well, the thing with Marvel movies is the the IP is the star and there aren't actually movie stars anymore. Uh, Folks seem to take uh, umbrage with that. The star of the movie, the star of Avatar, The Way of the Water, is the technology. That's what you're there to see. And we were talking at work about... um, is there a portion of the audience that is going there for the story? You know, it's like, or does it matter that the story isn't good? And I think one of like the most arrogant sounding gatekeepery, uh, uh, pretentious thing I might say is that I don't know if the audience is smart enough to know the difference. And I don't mean that maliciously because I don't want to yuck someone's yum And it's okay to like a movie and it's okay to have fun at the movies. I like fun and, and I I think fun is things that, that, that should be had. And I, I feel like that I'm actually kind of in somewhat of a minority. So, uh, going back to this, this advanced screening we went to packed house, Um, and a lot of folks seem to have a great time with it. So it felt like me and my buddy were kind of in the minority in that it was, uh, not the best experience or, you know, kind of, kind of a, kind of a drag. Um, there, uh, um, a, another person we went with was, wasn't, wasn't with me and my buddy, but he works at one of the other radio stations. He and he and a guest went and, this dude was over the moon about it, said it was immensely entertaining, hugely entertaining. And he said, yeah, man, I, now I want to go swimming. And uh, I, I think that's I think that's a, a nice take. And as we were walking out of the parking lot, we heard another group of folks talking, talking about how they want to go swimming. So Avatar The Way of the Water is brought to you by swimming. Support your local pool. Uh, your local public pool, I guess, uh, go to the YMCA and go swimming or something. Um, so coming out of the movie, folks were very, uh, were very positive on it. There, there was a lot of chatter in the lobby and folks seemed to really, um, enjoy it. Um, I didn't not enjoy it, but again, I, I did find myself, uh, challenged by it and I felt, I I felt about it as I was trying to formulate what I would tell the nice lady with the clipboard. And I couldn't figure out a polite way to say it, so I just didn't. And just kind of talked about the visuals. The story is so forgettable and unremarkable that it just kind of rolls off your brain, rolls off your eyeballs. And when I woke up the next morning, because I had to sleep on it. I was exhausted. Uh, first it was seven o'clock at night, went directly from work and it's a three hour and 15 minute, uh, movie. I thought I was going to go right back to the studio and record, uh, a hot take very similar to how I did with Spider-Man last year, but I I was just fried. I, I was, I was tired. I was cooked and I just didn't have it in me. And then the following morning after I woke up, um, I had an early morning meeting that I forgot about. So I didn't have time. Uh, to record uh, this episode that I'm I'm doing here for you now, um, my point being is like I, I I'm also glad that I kind of waited a day because I needed some of my thoughts to crystallize. But 
um, now that like I'm a day removed, I barely remember half of what happened, uh, because it just, it just slips off. And when we talk about pop culture footprint, I think this is kind of the stuff that I'm talking about. It's like, um, there just isn't anything memorable. I mean, so we will talk about how spectacular the visual effects are and how cool the underwater stuff looks. It's all going to be how it looks. Nothing about the, um, um, the actual story, but I, I, I think I've, I think I've well made my, uh, my point on that, but sticking with the perspective of pop culture footprint, um, James Cameron had said something to the effect of, um, something about like how the Jake Sully character isn't recognizable, isn't as recognizable as Luke Skywalker because he hasn't been in as many movies and Marvel had like 26 movies to, to tell their story. And I don't, I, I think he misses the point. I, I caught a little bit of hell on this on Twitter because I, I had, I, I had brought up that perspective and said, you know, the more James Cameron opens his mouth, the more I am actively rooting against his his blue space cat movie and um and i and i i don't think it's quantity i think it's it's impact and i think that pop culture impact can be measured in at least three different ways this isn't all or every but they were the three that popped into my head the most memes fan art fan fiction and um the thing with Avatar is that there's just no memes. Um, you know, you go to uh, AO3, Archive of Our Own, There, there's no Avatar fic. You know, slash fic or otherwise. And fan art, yeah, I, I, I haven't looked on DeviantArt recently, but I would imagine that it's that it's a wasteland. It As a visual experience, it's spectacular, but nothing sparks your imagination. Let me give a couple examples. One, I, I remember when The Mandalorian was going, and I had to stay off social media to avoid spoilers in the form of memes. Everything that was spoiled from me for the first two seasons of Mandalorian was in the form of memes. Like, like you couldn't get away from it the first time somebody said, this is the way. And all of, or, or even in Andor, more, most recently, I'm not going to spoil Andor, but one of the, the components is one way out. You know, you couldn't get away from the no way out, uh, one way out memes. And uh, something as recent as like Transformers Earthspark. One, the memes came fast and furious right away. But then you started seeing uh, fan art of those interpretations of the characters. And then I'm sure... There's all kinds of uh, Earthspark fic that's already out there on AO3. Those are the ways that you measure pop culture impact. You know, quotes. Nobody quotes Avatar. And so, yeah, I just, I, I don't think it's in quantity of movies. I really don't. I, I, think, I think it's in the impact of how it sparks our imagination and how we talk about it. Now, I will also say, though, that... Uh, yesterday afternoon, there there was a lively discussion in our office, water cooler conversations about the movie, and that's probably the most I have or ever will uh, talk about this movie again. Um, and it was a lot of making fun of it, and it was a lot of talking about how there isn't the impact. So it's it is a conundrum. Um, 
I feel that, that okay, so it's it's fascinating. Let's let's talk about the the compare and contrast between Marvel movies and this, because I think they are in two different classifications. I would classify this movie as an event. I do think you need to go. I do think it is something that is worthy of being seen because of the technological marvel that it is. No pun intended. Um, since I like to use food analogies, apparently, um, this is a premium steakhouse meal, whereas Marvel movies are McDonald's. It's, it's fast food. And I use that fast food analogy... Now, let's say you get, like, the most expensive thing on the menu. I don't know what the most expensive thing on the menu is at at McDonald's or what, quote-unquote, the best thing at McDonald's is. I don't eat a lot of McDonald's. I do a lot of of Jack-in-a-Box and Taco Bell, but um, I I don't do as much McDonald's. But um, there is a sizable, noticeable difference between the care and craftsmanship in Avatar The Way of Water. You could tell... Cameron worked for years on the visual effects and the presentation. Just the, um, so much of it happened. Obviously, a lot of it happens in the water, but uh, there are extended sequences in the rain. And I think he's just doing it to show off. Like, I'm going to make this so realistic that that, that is going to rain on these computer generated characters and is going to look realistic. You know, just even like, the 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 realism in the texture of the skin and the pores and it looks incredibly realistic better than it ever has before and it looked pretty damn good in uh, 2009 with avatar the first you look at something like in the marvel movies even even something that's as much of a technological achievement as thanos it's a it's a um convergence of Josh Brolin's performance and the the computer generated uh, performance capture creature, and it's impressive, and and it is a realization of a very real character in a digital space, and that even that kind of pales to the realism of these creatures in um, in Avatar. Um, but the flip side of that though, is because of the way the character is written and Josh Brolin's performance, Thanos is a compelling character and he sticks with you. There's none of that here. That is the, the portion that's missing from Avatar is the iconic performances that stick with you and the depth of the writing and the craft of the character work. This movie is a video game. Now, granted, it's a pretty damn impressive-looking video game. But um, now's the time where where I, I guess I need to go back to my uh, the, the the technological specifications of the screening that we saw. So we saw it at the Pacific Science Center. It's the biggest screen in Washington State. It's like. 21 feet by 64 feet. It is mammoth. It is impressive. It is true IMAX. The IMAX that you see at your local AMC or Regal is not IMAX. That is just a bigger screen. And it's and it's impressive. But it is it is not 
what you see, like, the Hubble Space Telescope documentary on um, that, you know, your kids go to uh, for a field trip to the Science Center. Um, So it's already staggering in its scale. And you add 3D on top of it and and the IMAX 3D. Um, But then you add this high frame rate. Now, uh, you might remember high frame rate as something that was talked about with uh, the Peter Jackson's Hobbit movies, or you might remember a movie called Gemini Man uh, that was an Ang Lee movie. Uh, there was also uh, Barry Lynn's uh, Long Halftime Walk. Uh, Ang Lee was a filmmaker who really wanted to make high frame rate happen. And basically what high frame rate is, is it's... Um, without getting bogged down in the technicality of it, because really there are aspects of it I don't understand. I'm actually trying to see if I can interview uh, somebody from the Science Center specifically to talk about high frame rate and and how that affects 3D. But basically, like, high frame rate is, is essentially trying to replicate the look of live, uh, real-life um, footage, uh, sports, news... Um, anything that it, that is real and live, real life, um, soap operas, for example, use, uh, whatever type of filmmaking practices that they do, uh, that that's considered a high frame rate because like, um, the thing with film and it, and it is a technological limitation of shooting on film. You can only shoot it like 20 frames per second or some such like that. Um, and uh, 24, I believe, because like, I think the high frame rate is 48. So it's double. And basically, um, the high frame rate is used to minimize blurring in the 3d sequences. Now, where I had a problem with this that my buddy didn't is that it goes back and forth. So like um, in one of the live action Transformers movies, I don't remember which one it is, but it's like it was filmed with IMAX cameras, but then like for the special effects shots, it wasn't. So the aspect ratio would flip back and forth. It'd be square. It'd be rectangle, square, rectangle, back and forth. The high frame rate kicks in during action sequences. And to me, it looks like somebody is leaning on the fast forward button. Because there is a noticeable change in the speed of motion. And it's through the, the effect shots in 3D. So, like, anytime there's, there's flying, fighting, explosions, all of the major set pieces are all in this high frame rate. And I hate it. I cannot stand it. Um, and since it goes back and forth, I notice it more. You notice it more going in than you do coming out because like the action sequence will end and you're you're just acclimated to it and you don't realize that the high frame rate has ended but once it kicks up again it's like every time literally every time i lean to my buddy i'm like i can't with this frame rate dude um and and it was it's jarring to me it throws it right out of out of the experience and there's an action sequence very early on in the movie and i audibly gasped and I audibly said, oh, no, I hate this. And um, and it really soured my experience on the movie. Um, but what I don't know, and again, that's why I want to talk about the specificity of my experience watching this movie, because I don't know 
if you would be able to replicate my experience. I, I did a little bit of uh, looking for tickets uh, for Avatar. So I saw it in IMAX 3D with high frame rate. So of the options, it seems like there is standard, which is a waste of time, um, digital 3D, real D 3D, IMAX, and IMAX 3D. I don't know what the difference between uh, real D 3D and digital 3D is. Maybe it's like a laser projector situation, but I'm, I'm not informed enough. Uh, maybe I'll have to do another episode of 3D Never Die uh, with my uh, uh, hetero workmate, Camaro uh, Kev, uh, from the Stack of Dimes podcast, because uh, he, he knows a lot more about the technology than I do. Um, so I, I'd really like to get his take on it, because I find myself very confused. So if you go to Fandango and just look for the different ticket options, it's going to be overwhelming. But what I couldn't find is an option for high frame rate. So is it just 3D IMAX that has high frame rate? Can you see 3D that isn't being projected in high frame rate? As of this recording, I have no idea. I'm, I'm very confused. But I also think that there are segments of the movie-going audience that won't know the difference, that won't care, because I asked people. I was like, oh, hey, how about that high frame rate? Blink, 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 what are you talking about? I'm like, well, when it speeds up during the action sequences, I don't know what you're saying. So it was something that caught my eye, but didn't catch other folks that I, again, not trying to be arrogant, but I would classify as casuals or normos or civilians. I'm not saying I have a more discerning eye than you, but... Um, but it was very noticeable to me, and it was very jarring. And it, it, it significantly influenced my experience watching it to the point where I, I turned my back on it. Um, I, I, told, I told my buddy, I almost want to go see it now in flat 2D just to do the compare and contrast. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I, I'm not sure what else to say. Um, Again, you're going to go see it anyway, so I don't know if my uh, insight or perspective is going to change it. Oh, actually, yeah, so let's talk about exhibition. So, like, um, a friend of mine uh, is going to uh, consider coming to Federal Way to watch it in the XD. I don't know if you're going to get a good experience watching it in just XD unless it's in 3D. And, and then, do you get the high frame rate? I don't know. Um... But just watching it on a larger screen, but not in a 3D exhibition, I think that's a waste of time. Uh, 3D or bust for this movie, because you're, you're missing the immersion and depth of experience that was intended uh, when this movie was being made. Um, I lost the thread earlier, but um, I'll close out with this, that I compare this uh, to an event that's not a movie that doesn't make sense the way I put it. But like, I, I look at it as an event, as in like a, a sporting event, a concert, a symphony performance, a play, so, put it on that kind of level and not as a movie view it as an event, not just as a movie. Like you could go see Wakanda forever, wherever, whenever, you know, I'm sure it's being shown in 3d. I'm sure it's fine. Um, I saw the press screening in in uh, fake IMAX um, up at the at, uh, Thornton Place in Northgate. It's fine. 
Um, so seeing it larger, sure, is a little more immersive, fine. But I, I think this is a true motion picture event that you do need to see in 3D. If there's an opportunity to see it in 3D without the high frame rate, I would be very curious to, to see. Um, but after you see the movie and you listen to this, let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Mike Seibert Radio. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, but I, I would be very curious to, to compare notes. And I kind of wonder how wrong um, I am about some of my hot takes. Again, I don't hate this movie, but I'm not in love with it either. And more than anything, I just I just felt exhausted by it. Um, and and I don't know. I, I just uh, uh, I don't think it has a pop culture footprint, but it is interesting because I think it's a I think it's an age thing. Also, I was at the bar the other night. A friend of mine was celebrating a birthday, and there were young people. Well, not young people, millennials. Uh, that are like, oh yeah, man, I'm really looking forward to this. And we talked further. Dude couldn't name, uh, couldn't name drop Jake Sully. Couldn't tell me any of the names of any of the characters. And that's the other thing too. Uh, this was another thread I, I lost. The thing that that's frustrating about Avatar is that the character models and the character designs are so unremarkable that you can't tell the characters apart. Some of the characters look like the actors, kind of. Others don't. Others are just very generic. And with them all being different shades of blue, there's there 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 is there there's nothing to distinguish them. And you would think that you could distinguish them by vocal performances, but but nothing sticks. So some have like accessories or tattoos or other types of one-note character. Uh like like there's a, a group of henchmen that all have like like one note, like one chews bubblegum, one has sunglasses, and that's supposed to be enough to distinguish them. But comparing this with, like, say, something like Star Wars, the thing that makes Star Wars so special is that it's, it's, everything is distinguishable. You know who Boba Fett is because he has such colorful, distinctive armor and looks so, um, he stands out from the crowd. Um, or even Darth Vader. Or Luke Skywalker, or Han Solo, you know, they all have, like, unique character traits and character designs. Look at the Transformers. Look at how colorful they are. That's some of the criticisms of the live-action movie. They're all, like, you know, gray space junk. Um, you know, whereas, like, you know, the the bright red truck versus the silver gun guy, or the blue tape deck guy, or the, or the, uh, uh, red and silver jet, you know, like, you know, I mean, you could go on and on, but the character models are not distinctive enough. And the care, the creatures, while they are visually interesting, are not distinctive. Like all of like the creatures from Star Wars, I know who they are because like they have, you know, a character and personality and it's, I don't know. I don't know what it is about. Maybe it's an age thing. Maybe because, like, I saw those Star Wars movies when I was a kid, it imprinted on me. And maybe, you know, uh, the, these creatures have imprinted on, on kids that saw Avatar. I don't know. But it's all just, like, very generic-sounding names, too. And, you know, again, I, I can't name you any of the new characters. I don't know any of them by name. And, um, yeah, it's just as, as unremarkable as it is forgettable. 
but it, it, it is a visual technological marvel. And I'm just repeating myself now. I feel like I'm, I'm in the cul-de-sac, so I'm just going to cut it here. Uh, thank you so much for uh, listening and for uh, encouraging me to do this. I, I don't know if I was going to do it otherwise, but if you want to uh, check out other my other episodes, uh, you know where to find it on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, but also check out my YouTube channel for, uh, for more excitement there. Uh, for Mike Cyber Radio, my name is Mike. Uh, this has been Mike Cyber Radio, and until next time, uh, make good choices. Uh, be water, my friend. Mike Cyber Radio is recorded in Seattle, Washington. Our original theme song is written and performed by Lucia Fasano. Get her music on all streaming platforms like Spotify and Apple Music, including her groovy new single, Habitable Planets. Check out her Instagram at Lucia underscore Fasano. Our closing theme is a nice place to visit by these young fools used with permission from Michael Geisler. Check out Michael's website, bytormusic.com. Special thanks to Andy Lita for our logos and graphic design. He is at GoGoAndyRobo out on Twitter. Become a Mike Cybertronian and join the MSRP Friends and Fans Facebook group. And you can follow me on social media at MikeCybertRadio on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Want to be a guest on the show? Send me an email, MikeCybertRadio at gmail.com.